Welcome into the second to last edition of the CFF Sites preseason preview series, where today we look at the Sun Belt Conference, the CFF site. We've got you covered from preseason fantasy draft guide to in-season player rankings and projections to in-season DFS write-ups. The CFF site's got you covered for all things college fantasy football. And if you haven't come in yet, now is the time. Fourth of July weekend is here. Fantasy drafts about to heat up in the college fantasy football world. My name is Joe DeSalvo. I am joined by my partner, as always, Mike. Mike, here we are, second to last conference. We're almost done. Fourth uh, of July weekend coming up. We're going to get Sunbelt Conference knocked out. And then when we come back from the holiday weekend, we're going to take care of the SEC. And then from there, uh, some odds and end stuff. You and I are can, you know, competing in some other drafts that will be going on throughout the summer. But, you know, from this point on, it's going to be cleaning things up, maybe making some adjustments here or there. Some news that we hear on players, we may make some adjustments as we have just recently. But once when camp fires up, man, there's going to be a lot of toggling players, rankings, and uh, never a better time to join the CFF site because you're going to get access to all of that movement. It's not static. We're going to keep you posted all the way through. Yep, absolutely. Now, now to your part of the country in the in the Sun Belt here. <laughs> yeah, we just finished our West Coast swing, man. So let's get it into let's get into the Sun Belt because we've got some new additions this year, right? I mean, we've got Southern Miss in, we've got James Madison, we've got uh, who Old Dominion joining the mix, uh, Marshall as well. So the Sun Belt expanding. This probably won't be as short of a show as it was last year because there's some other programs to touch on. So. Let's jump right on in it, Mike, where there's some changes uh, just over in the state of Georgia where Clay Hilton takes over as head coach. He brings in Brian Ellis, who was the West Kentucky co-offensive coordinator, right, in his last stop. That lineup, uh, that roster had, was built. It was, a, it was a different look. It was a run-heavy Georgia Southern roster. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they transition into the new era here. They've got Jeremy Singleton. They added him from you know, the Houston transfer, they bring in Kyle Van Trees transfer in from Buffalo, but, you know, just, you know, looking at the roster, I, I don't know if it's ready yet. Maybe Helton gets a mulligan this year to get that roster recalibrated moving forward. Not seeing much fantasy value here, probably more of a wait and see for me. How about yourself? Yeah, I think, you know, he brought in a lot of pieces uh, over the off season, whether it be a, the portal and, and who knows? I mean, maybe there's some, you know, some unearthed gems there at the wide receiver core that that just didn't have the opportunity, right? Because they only, right. what, they were 14th in the nation in, in rushing attempts per game, you know, the, over the last three years. So um, that's going to significantly jump here with Clay Helton um, as head coach and, and Brian Ellis, the new OC. Um, I think around 33 passing attempts per game that you're looking at with Brian Ellis. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's about the person now. Does he have it? Like Kyle Van Trees, you know, was he ever fantasy relevant at Buffalo? Um, no. Is he going to be with more passing attempts? Maybe, but you know, he never impressed me. Um, wide receivers is interesting. I mean, Jeremy Singleton's, he was fine at Houston. Um, probably our, or he is our projected wide receiver one for now, but they had some guys step up in, in the spring game, like a, a Derwin Burgess. Uh, Caleb Hood, uh, I know those two are, are pretty, you know, small and, and, and quick there. So maybe they have some fantasy uh, relevancy at times, but 
Um, I think, you know, down the road, this is going to be an offensive system maybe that we invest in this year. I think probably just look towards the waivers um, and, and see what transpires. Yeah, and, and I'm curious if it's something's going to be very similar over at uh, Louisiana Monroe where Matt Kubik comes in as offensive coordinator, taking over, uh, you know, Rich Rods uh, was there last year. You mentioned in the conference write-ups and some of our biggest questions in the preseason, you know, he had some success with, a, you know, at ULM before with a former quarterback, Caleb Evans, during that 2017-19 to 19 stretch. Chandler Rogers, we have pegged in that quarterback one spot. As of right now, he's kind of where if someone's going, uh, a player off of this roster is going, he might be more of uh, the flyer you're taking at the end of the draft, maybe just from upside. But is, is there anywhere else we're looking right now on this roster, or is this more of a wait and see as well? Uh, probably wait and see for me. Um, but I might take some shots, uh, at the end of drafts, especially in deeper drafts. Cause you know, I, I touched on it in the guide Chandler Rogers, um, you know, is a dual threat quarterback and, and now offensive coordinator, Matt Kubik, who, who was with the team previously from, uh, a, a few years in the past had Caleb Evans. And that was a popular name for, for, you know, CFF players uh, in the past. He had three straight top 25 fantasy seasons um, and, and similar quarterback in the sense that they're both dual threats. Now the big difference I think is Chandler Rogers is probably 25 pounds lighter than Caleb Evans was. Uh, but we saw just last year that Chandler Rogers can handle, you know, hundred plus uh, carries in the running game. So I'll be curious to see if, if maybe his weight changes on the, on the listed uh, school roster, you know, whether that's accurate or not. Um, but yeah, he's a guy that I want to take shots on late. And then I thought an interesting development uh, from the spring was a guy that kind of popped late last year, Malik Jackson uh, at running back where he had, uh, I think two 100 yard games in the last three weeks, 20 plus carries in each of the last three games he was kind of floating between running back and wide receiver during the spring. And now he's back on the, on the, on the roster as a running back. So um, that's a guy that I might kind of look at um, just because he kind of popped late last year. And, you know, he's shown that he can handle a, a, a 20 plus carry a game workload um, even at his size at 175 pounds. Let's go out west to Texas State, where you kind of feel like the wick's getting a little short for head coach Jake Spavadol, but he did make a number of moves in the transfer portal, right? He brought in Lane Kiffin. Uh, I'm sorry. He wish he brought in <laughs> Lane Hatcher. He, you know, maybe he did bring in Lane Kiffin to help him recruit because he did bring a lot of guys through the portal. He brings in Lane Hatcher from Arkansas State. He brings in Demarcus Gre Gregory from South Florida, who I believe at one time was at Ole Miss. Brings in Lincoln Pear from Arkansas State as well. You've got Marcel Barbie, the wideout on the roster, who's totaled 15 touchdown catches over the last couple of years. Uh, you feel like it's got potential. You wonder if you could put it all together. Wondering if Lane Hatcher really is going to kind of have a quarterback one job all to himself this year. Um, you know, that that's still up for debate as well. For me right now, Marcel Barbie, if anybody's going to take a stab, at a Texas State player, it may be him just because he's shown that he can do it over the last couple of years in this offense, which it shouldn't change much. Uh, but your thoughts on Texas State moving forward going into, into the preseason? Yeah, it's, I think it's interesting just because, you know, they, I mean, they haven't been good, right? 
Um, but they did double their win total last year. Um, but just, I, I know I say this a lot, the tea leaves, it's like you got a new athletic director. So he's got a new eyes on, on, on Spavs. And then I think he's going, he's got like four or no, I'm sorry. He's got four coaches that left this off season and he's got like multiple coaches as, as offensive coordinators. I believe it's him really calling the shots at, at, uh, on offense, but I don't know. It's just the, the, it, it seems trending downwards to me. Um, you know, Lane Hatcher's fine at quarterback. Um, you know, I kind of, I, you know, chest out there for, for, you know, for those that, uh, you know, or I projected that Logan Bonner was the better quarterback of the two. And he goes on to an all conference season where Lane Hatcher now downgrades to Texas state. So, I mean, he's, he's whatever at quarterback. I'm not, I'm not too interested in him uh, running back. I know this was kind of a conversation with us during the off season between uh, Calvin Hill and, and Jamil Jeter at running back. And I, I found it interesting that it was Hill that kind of pops late in the year. He had back-to-back 100-yard games to, to, to close the season, but it was Jeter that had all the rushing touchdowns. And it's interesting that Hill got 12% of the red zone carries versus 23% for Jeter. So I think we would have more interest in Calvin Hill this year if maybe those are flipped where he gets 20 plus uh, percent carries in the red zone. Uh, so I would like to, to see if that kind of occurs because typically we don't have a, a running back in this system. That's, that's fantasy relevant. Um, yeah. and, and then the receivers, I mean, you touched on it. Barbie and Jabin Banks are, are kind of the top two guys there, but nobody had more than 18% target share for Texas state. So interest, but, but very late in your drafts. Yep, I agree. And that's why I just mentioned Barbie there. And it's sort of let's see how it unfolds. And, and maybe we get some sort of waiver wire pickup as the season progresses. Now, let's head over back to Louisiana Lafayette, where, you know, change in head coach, right? Michael Dorsimo or Decimo takes over as head coach, Mike. Um, you know, you've had running backs leave there. Le- First of all, quarterback Levi Lewis is gone where he seemed like he was there for like seven, eight years, right? Montreal Johnson transfers out the freshman last year and, and follows Napier over to Florida. Monty Bailey transfers out, goes to TCU. We're assuming Chris Smith is going to take on a much heavier load this year. You know, we mentioned maybe in, you know, a lot of talk, maybe in another show, Jacob Kabaddi, you know, was moved over back to running back this year in the spring. They've got a couple of three-star recruits coming in. Um, you know, for me in drafts right now, it's kind of looking at Chris Smith right now, assuming because of his proven ability uh, that he's going to get more of a heavier workload. We're not sure if it's still going to be a committee approach there, right? Because, you know, some of the, the staff is still intact, but for me right now, uh, all eyes are on Chris Smith and and it's sort of, you know, you're, you're taking a chance with him rolling the dice and hoping you're going to get one of those Louisiana Lafayette running backs with a, with a high, um, you know, basically carry percentage. But other than that, I really don't have any interest in UL right now. No, not a quarterback um, receivers. I, I, I again, I, I look, I like to look at target share. Nobody had more than 17% target share in the last two years. You know, Michael Jefferson, Peter LeBlanc, these guys are, are kind of big play threats. So, uh, but, you know, nobody's going to get consistent work in the passing game. 
like you mentioned, it's all about the running backs here for us. And it, it's interesting because, you know, Chris Smith, I don't know, he didn't live up to the hype last year. And now is that due in part to him? Because, I mean, Imani Bailey and Montrell Johnson, I think, showed out when they when they got carries last year. Um, but, I mean, this new head coach, um, you know, came, comes from the Billy Napier tree. So even if Chris Smith is kind of the head and shoulders, you know, clear cut running back one, is, is that kind of his coaching philosophy that he wants to give a guy 200, 250 carries. So um, I know you're, you were high on, on Jacob Kabaddi last year. Maybe you're just a, a year too early on that one. And, and, and maybe he, he, he becomes a, a viable running back two option here. Well, the, the, the reason why I like the upside with Chris Smith, and I, I think he's worth the gamble in a lot of drafts this year, Mike, is just, you look at the second and third, you know, Chris Smith led the team in rushing last year. He had 150 carries, 856 yards, eight touchdowns. Montreal Johnson leaves for Florida. He had 162 carries, 12 touchdowns. Imani Bailey had over 100 carries and eight touchdowns. The question is, is there any proven depth coming back, right? And if they can't develop that, then you can see a higher carry. They may have no choice but to use Chris Smith a little bit more in this offense. And you're talking about three running backs last year that all had over 100 carries. That was 415 carries amongst three guys. If there's nothing behind Chris Smith, there is a possibility we could see a 200-carry year from him if he stays healthy and nothing else develops. And that's the reason why I think he's worth the risk where we have him ranked and why the reason, quite frankly, why, are, why he is ranked where he is right now around that 30 spot. Yeah, I, I, I'll be interested to see. You mentioned proven commodities they don't have those but they're always top third of the Sun Belt under Napier yep. in, in terms of recruiting so you know they got turnover in the running back room they got turnover on the offensive line so we'll I guess we'll find out how well Napier recruited yep absolutely well let's get into a new program James Madison now uh new program here there's a lot to like about James Madison uh you know, let, let, let's start with the transfers in, right? They bring in Todd Santeo, who I was not a big fan of over at Colorado State. I'm, I, I might as well beat you to the punch on that one. Uh, but I do like him over here uh, playing with John's, James Madison. They've got Chris Thornton back, a 1,000-yard receiver, one of their top wideouts left for South Carolina. They had Kobe White come in to form a BC receiver, but he left the program as well. Uh, good sign maybe if you want to take a flyer on a guy like Reggie Brown late in your drafts as well Mike Shanahan offensive coordinator and I do think and and you know Todd Santeo is a guy that I have taken in a couple of best ball drafts that we've done late flyers you're looking at an offense where Cole Johnson the quarterback last year totaled 47 touchdowns I know Todd Santeo isn't Cole Johnson but it is a system that has proven that it can produce, uh, you know, a good fantasy quarterback. And so I do think there's definitely some value here in some of the James Madison players. What are your thoughts there? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I like Santeo as maybe a last option yeah. on your roster. Yeah. Um, you know, Cole Johnson, in terms of fantasy points per game last year, he would have been top 10 in, in the country if they were at the FBS level. But um, I know his 31 attempts per game last year was a really an outlier in terms of the system under Mike Shanahan, because um, this is more of a run heavy uh, base system uh, on, on a year to year basis. Um, 
so maybe there's some interest in in Obisay, the 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 running back one here. Um, I I think Chris Thornton is the one that I I wish I had more shares of. Um, you know, they lose Antoine, Antoine Wells to to South Carolina, who who had right. targets last year. And Kobe White, the Boston College transfer, uh, reneged his his commitment, I guess, and and decided to answer, uh, enter the portal again. So there's no real clear cut wide receiver two here. And really, if you look back, um, I have a stat here over the last eight seasons. It, it, and this is cons- it's consistent. It's not just you know last year with Wells and, and Thornton. Over the last eight years. 57% of the of the receiving production goes to the top two guys to on average in this system. So they typically make up for most of the production. Will that vary from times to times? Yes. It's these we talk about systems. They're not gonna, you know, remain the same year in and year out every single year. But um typically the top two guys get fed in this system. So I, I do want to see if a Reggie Brown, as you mentioned, yep. they had a transfer from Monmouth, uh Terrence uh Green, I believe, had 1,900 uh, receiving yards in three years. So I think if I'm watching for something this summer and into fall camp, it's going to be Reggie Brown, Terrence Green. If somebody emerges there, I'll, I'll, I might have some interest in them. I agree. I, I Right now, for me, Reggie Brown is pegged as one of my deep sleepers right now going into the new year just for the reasons uh, that you mentioned there. Now, let's go over to Old Dominion, Mike, where, you know, there's some production coming back. You got Blake Watson back at running back, 200 carry season, 1,100 yards, eight touchdowns last year. Ali Jennings, the third top receiver. He was a thousand yard receiver for them last year. Zach Kuntz coming back. He caught 73 passes at the tight end spot. All three of those guys come back. They made a late run in the year. I think they may have won five or six straight to become bowl eligible. So we know that there's some fantasy appeal in this roster does it does it kind of start and stop with those three guys though because right now there's nobody else off of that roster being taken but look we when you consider the programs we just went over uh, that's three pretty decent players right now that are at least going in the first half of most drafts that you and I and probably everyone else is doing right now yeah I I think the big question for me with the old or uh, for the ODU guys is do they have more upside uh, than they, than they posted last year. And I think that is kind of dependent, at least for Zach Koontz and, and Ali Jennings on the quarterback play, Absolutely. which is kind of one of our questions uh, that we discussed in, in the guide. And, you know, just looking at some, some early depth charts um, it looks like Hayden Wolf is, is projected by most to be the starter uh we're going with a projection here of brendan clark the former uh, notre dame transfer to be the guy um i think he's still in the mix right now but if you look back with ricky ron uh during his time at penn state his offenses flourished most with a dual uh dual threat quarterback and that's what clark can bring to the table um wolf I think negative rushing yards last year. And I mean, maybe I'm biased after watching that bowl game against, right. um, against Tulsa, but he was garbage, right? He, yeah, he, they, they were just stuck in the mud for, for three quarters of that game. So um, I, I think the Clark brings a little different element to the table. So that's kind of where our projection of him 
resulting in QB1. And, you know, being a four-star kind of recruit, uh, formerly of Notre Dame, hopefully he can bring something different to table to elevate Koontz and, and Jennings and, and even Blake Watson. So let's go down to South Alabama where they lose Jake Bentley. While Jake Bentley may not have been a world beater, he at least brought some stability to the quarterback position last year at South Alabama. This year, we're looking at Carter Bradley, the Toledo transfer against Desmond Trotta competing for that starting job. They lose Jalen Tolbert at receiver, a 1,400-yard receiver. He caught 82 passes last year. We've got Jalen Wayne pegged in that top spot. He caught 53 passes last year. Colin Lacey is still there. It's a major white, major Applewhite offense. Uh, there's still a lot to like. Um, it's interesting, though, we're not as high on one of the receivers, you know, on our receiver like Wayne this year as we were last year on Jalen Tolbert. Why do you think that is, Mike? I mean, he was productive, right? Uh, he had uh, 53 receptions on 80 targets. I think yep. it's definitely noticeable his yards per catch average. He's not as explosive as as Tolbert was. Only 12.3 yards per catch last year. So, I mean, he's he's going as a top 40 receiver. I have, you know, relative confidence that he can finish as that. I think as of now, he's kind of the clear cut guy. Um, but I would keep an eye on some of those secondary options. You know, I like Colin Lacey from last year, right? Yep. And, and, you know, he produced at a, a relatively decent clip, um, very low, I think, single digit yards per catch. So he really didn't produce a ton, but I, he caught 40 some passes. So, um, you know, he's a guy I'll, I'll keep an eye out on. Alan Daly transferred from Kentucky last year. I don't remember what happened behind the scenes, but he was kind of off the roster for times, but um, he apparently had a really big spring. So if Wayne is not capable of, of ascending to that true wide receiver one role, I would potentially keep an eye on Allen Daly there. And, you know, another stat that's kind of interesting with major Applewhite um, in his system, uh, his wide receiver twos uh, have the seventh highest target share average over the last four seasons. So not only is, you know, his top guy getting targeted, but his his wide receiver twos are typically productive as well. So maybe that's Lacey. Maybe that's uh, Allen Daly. Uh, remains to be seen. But, you know, that's kind of what I'm looking for from, yeah. from South Alabama. Yeah, that, that that's a good point. Now let's go over to Georgia State where, you know, they returned Darren Granger at quarterback. He had 20-plus touchdowns passing and rushing last year kind of took over after, you know, Cornelius Brown, you know, was pegged as the starter. Really, Georgia State, that whole offense last year, Mike, was was just just completely got rebuilt. You've got a two-headed monster back uh, at running back between Jameis Williams and Tucker Gregg. Both of those guys went over 150 yards last year. Both of those guys scored nine touchdowns. I mentioned to you early in the spring, I do like the Georgia State backfield. I mean, the passing game at receiver, it's just sort of a mixed bag, right? We don't get a high target share from any one player. Uh, could be one of these situations where, you know, I mentioned this all the time. I don't like to, to wish injury or ill will on anyone, but this is an offense for me that has two decent options. The system's really built for a good productive running back if one of these guys should happen to fall off the shelf and one take over as the true running back one and get north of you know 200 carries we could be looking at a really good fantasy running back now there's some depth on the roster as well too right so the one thing that you have to fear 
with Georgia State, as we saw last year. It's just they like to rotate bodies in that offense. Yeah, I was going to say, even if one guy, you know, happened to go down with injury, apparently they got three and four guys in that backfield that they really like. Uh, Casey Adams, an a, a incoming freshman, uh, was a standout this spring. Marcus Carroll, their projected running back three, I think was the spring MVP. So um, this is probably, you know, maybe behind App State, uh, second best running game in, in the conference. Uh, I know Rashid Ali with Marshall. Now, <laughs> just, yeah. I'm not even saying, like, just in totality. Right? Running back group, right? Yeah, their offensive line, I think they bring back four starters. You know, we touched on the depth. Darren Granger's going to get involved in the running game. He averaged double-digit carries as well. So I think it's good for Georgia State as a whole that this is going to be one of the best running games in the, in the conference. But yeah. like you said, just a ton of depth. And, you know, take your shot late maybe on, on Tucker Gregg and Jameis Williams. But, um, you know, unless one guy emerges, you're kind of going to be playing the, you know, s- split carries in the backfield. Yeah, I just bring that up. Together, both of them, you know, they went over 310 carries, 1,800 yards and 18 touchdowns as a one-two punch. And it was split just about 50-50, right? So Greg had more carries, but Williams had the better yards per carry average. So it just about evened out. Now, Let's go over to Troy, Mike, where you and I are looking for improvement from Troy. You've got head coach John Sumrall coming in. He was the Kentucky linebackers coach. Offensive Joe, coordinator Joe Craddock comes in from UAB. Um, running back Kamani Vidal, I think, is really at the top of our list in regards to players that have the most fantasy appeal for this year, at least for me. How about for yourself? Vidal, for sure. Um, I know there's some detractors of, of Craddock, but I think it definitely uh, bodes well for Kamani Vidal, who just, you know, I, I don't know if it was the previous regime or they like their depth, but he's never gotten that full, you know, yeah. workload. He's always been kind of splitting. And I, I think he's definitely capable of, of taking on a, a heavier workload. And I think you're going to get it potentially under Craddock. Um uh, let's see. I uh, got as running back one under Craddock is is typically he's got some separation from from the running back two. I think thirty seven percent of the team carries typically goes to the running back one. Um, you know, there's UAB mixed in into that data where he was just the tight ends coach and they had uh, Dwayne McBride. But um, you know, dating back to his time at Arkansas and SMU, typically he fed his running back one. Uh, I'm also intrigued a little bit in the passing game, too, because they had a late ad in the offseason of Peter Castelli, uh, a Utah transfer at quarterback. And uh, I don't think either me or you is is necessarily, you know, right. sold on, on Gunnar Watson as, as a long-term solution. Right. So this is a redshirt freshman who, you know, high three-star recruit to a, a P5 program who can move a little bit. He's definitely mobile. So I'll be curious to see that that kind of quarterback competition uh, transpire over the summer. Yeah, they brought in Ray J. Johnson as well from UAB, the receiver. And I think if there's other two areas of somewhat some fantasy appeal, keep an eye maybe on Michael Vice, the tight end, right? And you and I also like uh, the Troy defense special team this year, right? So don't want to kind of move on without mentioning them, Mike. And then 
Let's go over to Southern Miss where, you know, Southern Miss is probably going to have a pretty decent defense themselves this year as well. They, they, they've been pretty consistent on defense, at least over the past couple of years. Last year was just a mess. They could not get a healthy quarterback. Frank Gore turned into their entire offense. I, he played at running back. He played quarterback. So, you know, his numbers sort of reflected that in the end. But, you know, they, they return. Gore comes back. Jason Brownlee's back at receiver. We're expecting a pretty decent year from Ty Keys at quarterback, or or we think he can be in that offense, in that system, right? For me, I I, I like Gore. I think he is really – I think they can ride him um, because he proved it last year that he can handle a heavy workload and really get through that. Uh, he's a player that I've really been kind of targeting in, in the back end of drafts if, if he's still available. But there are still some other pieces that we've got our eyes on on the Southern Miss offense, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Jason Brownlee, I mean, he he posted pretty good numbers, you know, yeah. eight touchdowns, 80 plus targets with 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 shit quarterback play, as you mentioned, and 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 playing, you know, five running backs at, at quarterback in that season finale last year. So, I mean, um, you know, you would expect just based on having a real live quarterback under center that that his numbers should improve. Uh, he had 31% of the target share last year. So he was a bona fide wide receiver one for uh, Southern Miss. So there's some int- interest with him. Uh, Ty Keys, I think, is an interesting um, interesting prospect maybe this year, but but looking towards the future too. Um, you know, he, it was interesting. You know, he's he was in a battle to start the spring and he just, you know, he's, his name is popping up in, in every report, basically. Well, you know, all, all three reports that you can find on Southern Miss during the spring. Um, but his name was constantly popping up. Coaches were boosting him up as, as the guy right now. So, and, and he's a dual threat. And, and if you look at this system, you know, dating back to, to Will Hall's time at Tulane, he had, he had two top 50 quarterbacks there in, in uh, Pratt and, uh, Justin McMillan. Yep. Um, and, and, and McMillan had, you know, 160 carries that season. So yep. this, we got a dual threat in Ty Keys. If he gets, you know, 160 carries, that's potentially a viable quarterback in, in CFF. Yep. Absolutely. Now let's go to Arkansas state where Mike, I think for the final time, we will <laughs> mention Lane, either Lane Hatcher or Logan Bonner, Bonner when we mention Arkansas State, right? So Hatcher moves out. We already covered that. He went to Texas State. That leaves James Blackman as most likely the the target, you know, the the, the trigger man for that Arkansas State offense, which last year both of those guys combined for 3,700 yards and 27 touchdowns. You know, they threw 17 interceptions, right? Which is always, uh, that that isn't good. Jacquez Cross, they added from Purdue. We know that Corey Rucker transferred out. He's now at South Carolina. And really, you know, in, in the preseason, the discussion really has been to Valence Hunt versus Jeff Foreman. Hunt more of, you know, based off of his performance and what he did last year. And Foreman just momentum coming out of spring where he really did have, you know, a nice spring session there. But really, that's probably the, the debate. It seems to be when I look at some of the results that we've gone in, in you know, that we've taken part of, the drafts at least, um, seems like there's a little bit of a tug of war between these two guys on who favors whom, right? Yeah, and maybe there doesn't need to be a tug of war. Just draft both. 
right? Yeah. I, I think these two could have a, you know, I think they're solidified wide receiver one, wide receiver two, some ambiguity as to who the, the third guy is. You know, we, we mentioned Cross. Uh, he's got some versatility. I know they brought over Champ Flemings from Oregon State, but these are solidified top two guys. And, um, you know, depending on your preference, maybe, maybe you take one over the other. But I, I say with this kind of high volume passing offense, you're going to throw it 40 times a game. Why not draft both? So, so I like both Foreman and, and Hunt this year. Um, Blackman, you know, as long as he stays healthy, you know, if you're throwing it 40 times a game, you could have some value. Um, you know, I, I just real quick before I, before I move on to the uh, running backs, uh, I think a name that should stay on, on folks' radar is Jackson Daly, a true freshman for Arkansas State. Um, you know, we, we know James Blackman's injury history. You know, we, we have a discorder that nicknames him James Glass Blackman. Um, so if for some reason that he doesn't stay healthy, I think Jackson Daly is a guy that maybe you want to keep on your radar and definitely for, 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 for dynasty purposes, because he solidified the QB two job this, this spring. Yeah. So as a true freshman, so, uh, that's a name to uh, keep your eye on. And then running backs, there's really no interest here. It's, no. it's always a committee approach. Yep. I agree. Well, we're going to get a little bit of a committee, but not so much a heavy one, two punch over at app state. Uh, one of the best running, you know, you, one of the best running games we're going to probably have not only in the conference, but in the country where Cameron peoples comes returns. Uh, you know, he missed a little bit of time last year, still finished with 900 yards, scored 14 touchdowns. Nate Noel is back. He had 199 carries finished with over 1100 yards last year. Chase Bryce is back at quarterback. They lost their three top receivers though. We have Christian Wells pegged at that top receiver in Appalachian state. But, you know, my suggestion is until we th see things, and that passing game stabilize at App State, it's all about the running game. And I do have some thoughts on Cameron Peoples and Nate Noel, Mike. Uh, so I'll give you my thoughts first on that is, you know, Noel's a guy that for us, we've been participating in these 12-team, 26-round best ball drafts. And I know for the, the last draft, I picked up Nate Noel in one of the last rounds of the draft. And I'm just for me, I'm just a little stunned that you've got a guy with potential, a thousand yard potential that's still hanging around in the 24th, 25th round of fantasy drafts. To me, that's value because he showed what he can do last year when people's went down. And we're looking at one of the best running backs uh, combinations. You know, as you mentioned in the conference, when you were talking about, um, you talk about Georgia State. You've got App State, and I think you probably forgot at the time, Coastal Carolina. But those three schools, those three programs, and I would argue even more so App State and Coastal Carolina, even App State, could have two 1,000-yard rushers. I mean, their, their running game is that strong. And when you look at last year, Noel had 199 carries. Cameron Peoples had 166. I think the concern is, as we saw last year, people seems to be more of the short yards touchdown vulture in that offense. And I think that's why it's a little bit more of a stay away on Noel for some people in best ball drafts we've been in so far. Yeah, I would agree. I, I mean, I agree on all fronts. Noel is, is tremendous value. If you're getting him uh, rounds 20 and beyond, which, which you damn him in. Um, but also the fact that that Peoples probably has the higher upside because he's going to get the carries in the red zone. So 
Um, you know, I've just been kind of, I don't want to say fade, but I don't, this is not a, a, a backfield that I typically target just because one, you're going to see a split most likely. And kind of in the same vein as Georgia State, still got Dacher Tarrington. You still got Anderson Castle, who they like, and they added a Wake Forest transfer and Monty Marshall. So, I mean, you got five guys that they're confident in. Now, I think there's some separation in there. Like I, Noel and Peoples are the clear top two guys, yeah. but just the carries getting spread around. It's just, again, similar vein to Georgia State. One of the best, if not the best running game in the conference. They're obviously going to be productive, but um, you know, it, where are the carries going on a consistent basis is my, my issue there. Well, we know where the carries are going at Marshall. Rasheen Ali, top touchdown scorer last year in the FBS. He is back, even though the offensive coordinator has moved on. Uh, well, Tim Cramsey has moved on, right? And so you've got a new offensive coordinator coming in, new quarterback. Um, Grant Wells went off to Virginia Tech. They bring in Henry Columby from Texas Tech. Uh, whether he's a body or whether he's productive still remains to be seen. They bring in Caitlin LeBourne maybe to kind of add some depth into the backfield. Brian Robertson, a receiver from F FSU as well. Corey Gamage is back. I think for you and I, I think we probably agree here. Rasheen Ali, Corey Gamage are probably the top two on our draft day radar for Marshall players. But anything you want to add in regards to maybe the coaching change and how that might affect the league, maybe regression. Will we see more of the same? What's your thoughts? We have Ali, you know, top five running back this year. So we're still expecting a big year from the guy. It's a big play, big play running back. It is. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I, <laughs> indecisive maybe a little bit on, on, on Ali. And I mean, he's consistently top, six seven running back for me but um yeah, man you kind of see reports coming out that Kalen Laybourne a former five-star recruit had a pretty good spring here maybe they divvy up the carries a little bit Tim Cramsey's no longer there you got a, a new OC in Clint Trickett who who I read is reportedly you know maybe getting Ali more touches in the passing game even which would be interesting because oh wow 40 passes last but year, 45 passes last yeah. year. So, I mean, if, if that happens, then, then, you know, shut my ass up about, <laughs> about him being in the top seven, he's top two, if that happens, but, you know, Clint Trickett, you know, didn't have the greatest season as a full-time OC at Florida Atlantic, whether that's by his fault or, or the, um, shoot, now I'm forgetting the head coach there, Willie Taggart. Yeah. Debatable whose fault that was when that, that, that offense kind of tanked, but, um, you know, I, I, just some kind of warning signs. I know they have turnover along the offensive line, plus coordinator change, plus maybe Laybourne come become something. So, um, you know, I'm fine with drafting Ali in the first round. Um, I just feel confidence. I, I think you would agree. Just more confidence in a, in a Lou Nichols or a, a Bijan or a Travion over over Ali. The one thing that Ali has going against him that we never liked, like we love to see continuity. We love to see just no, no change at all. Right. The fact that there is change uh, just brings up a warning flag. Right. But, you know, let's look at the flip side of that too. And let's talk about the reasons why we still like him. He had 250 carries for 1400 yards and 23 touchdowns last year, Mike, 
even just a slight regression from those numbers still makes him a first round running back or at least a second round at worst. He cut 45 passes last year. He had a return touchdown. At least one of those guys, I feel like he can do more with less. And for 295 touches last year, even if he gets 250 to 275, I still feel he's going to be one of the top running backs with what he can do with the ball in his hands this year. So I'm not trying to talk anybody off the ledge whatsoever. And I don't think you're doing that either. There is some hesitation here, but there's some optimism as well because he is really good. Yeah, I mean, change can be for the better or worse. Um, I know it's tough to top what he did last year, but you know, maybe maybe some of these changes, like Trickett giving getting him even more touches in the passing game, could result in better numbers. Um, just real quick before we turn the page, I I I, I like Corey Gamage this year. Um, you know, he had 113 targets last year. Um, 78 receptions. And, you know, I think I'm not a Henry Columbia fan, but I think he could do similar numbers to what Grant Wells put up last year. So you would expect a six foot four receiver to catch more than, than two touchdowns like he did a year ago. And I got him 20, uh, 25th round of our 26th round best ball. So, I mean, that's a guy you can get really late for, for, how many 78 receptions? Like that's a guy you want to target. Yep. Absolutely. Great value. Tremendous upside potential at that, at that spot. So last program, Coastal Carolina, Grayson McCall comes back, but you know, for the last three years, his top targets have been, well, the top targets or the top receivers in that offense, not necessarily for Grayson McCall, uh, Javon Hiley and Isaiah likely the tight end wide receiver combination. Both of those guys are now gone. Our assumption is that the Georgia State transfer Sam Pickney maybe steps into that wide receiver one role. Boy, you and I would surely really love to know how, who and how that offense is going to incorporate the tight end this year. Are they going to do it with a player like Xavier Gravett, who if we did get, if we did have a little bit more certainty would probably be going a lot earlier in drafts, but there's still a little uncertainty, um, not knowing exactly what's going to happen with those spots and then that running back where Braden Bennett is sort of pegged our running back one last year he did a lot of damage out of the backfield uh Reese White as well was a very good runner they had three backs last year that that could do it Shamari Jones obviously was there between the tackles guy a lot of conversation with you and I in the spring Uh, a lot of who's going to be the running back one here I think we both agree it's going to be whoever can do the the work between the tackles Interesting situation here, Mike, where Braden Bennett has been going off draft boards a heck of a lot, way earlier than anyone like Reese White has. And I know that I've picked up Reese White in a couple of drafts, much like Nate Noel over at Appalachian State, late rounds near the 20th round for Reese White. And I think that that's good value, knowing that we're still not 100% sure how the running back carries are going to shake out in this Coastal Carolina offense even though we project Bennett as the running back one, there's still some potential upside for Reese White uh, and the value at which he's going, I find is just too hard to pass up at around the 20th round. Yeah, you can make the argument Reese White is potentially one of the best values in in CFF right now, just just how late he's going. Um, You know, I think similarly to to your argument with Nate Noel, right? This guy is you know, as good as Braden Bennett could be uh, this year, I think Reese White 
is definitely going to get consistent touches. Um, you know, they've, they've proven that over the years at Coastal Carolina. This is just, yeah, I'm not going to pretend to be some like football savant, right? And I, I know the ins and outs of schemes and shit, but um, I, I did find some stats here and I'm going to read them that are, are, that are you know, interesting that kind of led to our debate with, with Braden Bennett. If you look at red zone carries last year, now only Shamari Jones, Shamari Jones, who wound up the leading rusher, had only 18% of the red zone carries. You know who was next? Or who was who led the way in, in, in red zone carries? Tell uh, percentage? It was Reese White. There you go. Reese White had more based on, I don't think more carries in the red zone, obviously, because Shamari Jones had more. But uh, percentage-wise, uh, Reese White led the team in, in with 24% red zone are uh, 24% of his carries in the red zone over 15% for Braden Bennett. Um, you know, that, that kind of helps the argument for Reese White's. And then you kind of alluded to it with, with running in between the tackles, 50% of Shamari Jones's carries came in between the tackles last year, 33% for Reese White, 13% for Braden Bennett. So you know, you look at those numbers and they kind of trend towards Reese White there. So, Mike, you're um, making me want to bottle this show until we finish our final best ball drafts. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you see ADP change based on based on kind of where we rank guys and, and what we talk about. So I would not be surprised if that happened. But I, I'm not I, I'm just making an argument for Reese White and why you would potentially want to to fade Braden Bennett, right? And and we're not changing our projections right now. We we really like Braden Bennett because he's going to get a healthy dose of carries. Um, he he's the guy that gets utilized in the passing game. And 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 you would agree. I know their yards per per carry are, are fairly similar, but Braden Bennett is extremely explosive when you when you watch him uh, with the football in his hands. So. Uh, I'm not trying to, to necessarily persuade you off of Braden Bennett, but I, I'm making an argument for why potentially we could see Reese White uh, maybe be the top guy this year. Yeah. And what about receivers? I mean, your thoughts there, you and I have, have had a lot of dis discussion about the uncertainty of tight end, but what value it could bring given that uh, what what Isaiah likely brought to that offense last year. The question is, is are they going to use the tight end? Do they have somebody that they can plug and play? Or was likely just, you know, he was one of those, uh, you know, unique specimens that was able to play the position unlike anybody else that they're going to have. It's funny that you phrased it like that because I, I was thinking the same way. Like I it, it, later in drafts, I'm, I'm taking a shot on Xavier Gravett just because of, of what Isaiah likely did, but maybe he's just a, you know, a special case here where, yeah. where he was just a supreme talent at the tight end position and, and Coastal didn't have a ton of options besides him and um, Javon Hyland. So, you know, I'll take a shot, but, but would it, would it shock you in, in any way that, that they don't utilize the tight end position as much as they did in the past? And, and then begs the question, like, who's Grayson McCall throwing to? Like, we 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 like Sam Pickney this year, but hell, that guy lost his, jo his starting job last year and and had to transfer out. So um, it, it's it'll be interesting to see who truly emerges in the. In this I campaign. you know I said this when we were talking about Conference USA earlier when we were doing these shows. I really love Grayson McCall. I just love 
the way he plays. He's a tough kid, love his moxie. But for me, he's one of those players where I just don't see him being on my roster because where I have him valued is he's just being drafted way ahead of where I have him valued. I mentioned when we did Conference USA, I thought Chris Reynolds was sort of a Grayson McCall light. And we know that Coastal Carolina is going to be one of the better teams in, in, in the conference in Sunbelt, which, which is good. We know they're going to move the ball, right? But we also know that Charlotte's defense is going to be bad. So that's the reason why I like Chris Reynolds, because they're probably going to be chucking it around a lot. For me, I just don't know, man. Uh, Grayson McCall, for me, Mike, is, a li- is going a little too soon. I don't think I see him on my roster. I'm not liking where I see him drafted right now. What's your take on the ADP for Grayson McCall? fine yeah I, I don't I, I yeah I mean I don't have any strong opinions either way um I don't see necessarily the upside with Grayson McCall I, and that's not a detriment really to to how good of a, a fantasy quarterback he is um you know he dealt with the injury in the spring it's kind of a no news good news situation I think that that you didn't really read any follow-up reports like oh he's cautious about anything but he dealt with an injury how much he you know, wants to put wear and tear on his body in the running game with probable some NFL aspirations. Um, so I, where he's going, I'm I'm fine with it. QB2 on your roster is probably optimal for him. Well, two, two consecutive years of 26-plus touchdowns, so you have to love the consistency there. The question is, is are we going to see more of him rushing like we did in 2020? when he went for almost 600 yards and seven touchdowns, or will we see a little bit more of what we saw last year where it was more of 300 yards, four touchdowns, and try to keep the guy healthy a little bit? That's up for debate. We know the running back group is strong, but it was just something that I've noticed in some drafts where just the value from a call, I, I, I think you're right. I think it's fine, but for me, um, I don't know. I'm just not liking at that spot where he's going in most drafts. So I, I don't, I don't think we'll find out any answers because you remember two years ago, the team beat writer couldn't even project Grayson McCall as, yeah. as a starting quarterback. So I don't think we're going to get any, he came out of nowhere. Any- we yeah. had no clue. Yeah. That's it. Um, but I may bottle up this show, three best ball drafts down three Reese white shares. So I've got one, one more to go. So you can see how late I can scoop them up this time. But Mike, that's going to do it. Second to last show is in the books. We've got more and more left to go. The SEC, all of you guys watching this, happy holidays to you. Enjoy the fourth weekend. Everybody be safe. Enjoy. Go out and get your – come into the website, get your preseason fantasy draft guide. We've got over 85 pages of just pure college fantasy football content from rankings to the depth charts Mike did, conference write-ups, impact freshmen, returning offensive linemen, printable draft day cheat sheets. Everything's moving We've got you covered all the way in the preseason and through the season, in-season rankings, projections. Mike's got the DFS right up. We've got you all covered this year, as we always do at the CFF site for college fantasy football. But that's going to do it for the show here. Kyle, for the preseason preview series, Sunbelt Conference. For my partner, Mike Bainbridge, my name's Joe DeSalvo with the CFF site. We'll see you when we're talking SEC after the holiday weekend. Till then.